Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, I am excited just to be talking with you and so thankful uh, to talk to you today about the fear of God and the fear of man. Now, you might be like, well, why would we talk about this particular subject? And there's a reason why... um, why we're going to talk about this today. You know, we're not going to talk about COVID-19, but I do want to use it as an example because I think that coming out of this particular period of time, it's, it's very important for us to have a very good understanding of the fear of God, and here's why. What the fear of God helps us to do is to have a right reverence and a right respect for who God is and what he's like. And as we're going to find out in this episode, this is really foundational for our lives. You see, what the fear of God helps us to do is is to honor the Lord, not just in some part of our life, but in all of life. It helps us to have a foundation to even speak the truth in love, without fear, without apology. The the apostles, they were men who feared God, right? They, They walked with the Lord Jesus. They were taught by the Lord Jesus. But they weren't afraid to tell people the truth about Christ. The men and the women that the Lord has used most powerfully throughout the history of the church have been unafraid. Unafraid to speak the truth in love because they feared the Lord. They didn't have any fear of man. Now, before we dive into this episode, what I'm not saying is that we just go off and we give, um, we just say whatever we want to say. That's not what we're talking about here today. The, The Bible is very clear about not only that we're to fear God, but it also tells us that we're going to be held accountable for every idle word and that the words that we speak, for example, in Ephesians 4.29, we're to speak words that build up one another in love. And there's uh, Colossians 4, which very clearly tells us that our words should be seasoned with salt. And this, this this should get us to realize, I hope, what this episode will do is it'll get us to realize how little, perhaps, we all, including myself, fear God. And that what we need is this biblical understanding of the fear of God because what it does 
is it, is it drives us to actually love people enough to then tell them the truth in love. So that's where that's where we're headed in today's episode. I'll let you decide whether uh, this episode has been helpful to you. And by the way, I would love to hear from you. Uh, I am easily contacted by any of the social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Would love to hear from you. Also, my email is dave at servantsofgrace.org. Please, I would love to hear from you. And if there's other topics you want to hear about, uh, let me know that too. Um, So, today's episode is on the fear of God and the fear of man. As we go through the Bible, we are repeatedly met met with the importance of the fear of the Lord. In in Job 28, uh, 28, it says that the fear of God is wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and a hatred of evil in Proverbs 8.13, a fountain of life in Proverbs 14.27, and the whole duty of man in Ecclesiastes 12.13. Isaiah 33.6 calls the fear of God a treasure. The fear of God is one of the most important teachings that we could consider in all of the Bible. And it's also one of the, the least understood We do not come to an experiential realization of the fear of God until we first see our predisposition to what the Bible calls the fear of man. The scriptures distill the totality of our spiritual experience into a series of easily grasped contrasts, light and darkness, wisdom and darkness, old and new, life and death, faith and unbelief. And on and on and on. And not the least among these is the contrast between the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus is speaking here. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, the fear of man is not simply the fear of the harm that men may do to us. Surely the the fear of harm partly drives our desire to be approved by men. But the fear of man is, as John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, puts it, the fear of losing man's favor, love, goodwill, help, and friendship. Simply put, it's an idol of approval. It's an idol of approval. So we seek to avoid persecution because of the idol of approval, comfort, pleasure, These idols lead us to compromise in order to gain approval, to give in to wickedness, to gain acceptance and peace. It puts us in a vicious cycle of idolatry. The fear of man is the soul's default setting. You know, maybe maybe that's where you are today. You're afraid that if you tell your friend your honest thoughts about how they're living their life, or that family member, your honest thoughts about how they're living and what they think and what they believe that's contrary to God's word, that they will abandon you, that they will no longer, they will no longer care about you. They will no longer be interested in anything that you have to say. 
But here's the thing. You have to ask yourself, who do you fear most? Is your comfort found in that person or is it found in the Lord? It's a, it's a challenging question. And what it does is it gets us to realize, okay, what's really happening here? Where, what am I, tre- am I treasuring this friendship more than I treasure my, my communion and union with Christ? <clears throat> and if we are treasuring our union with and communion with Christ himself, then we will stand up. We will speak. We will be. We will speak the truth in love. It may not be comfortable for for the person that has to hear it, and it, and it most likely won't be comfortable for you to share. We're talking about somebody living in flagrant sin. Here, just as one example, what do you do? Do you just let it go by the wayside and just never say anything? And this is where wisdom comes in. This is where where the wisdom of people who have been walking with the Lord for decades is so needed. By the way, it's also biblical. It's Titus 2. It's the, if you're a woman, that older woman speaking into your life, that's why you should have that older woman by the way, uh, men, that's why you should have that older man in your life. So that their speaking can speak into challenging situations like this. It's never fun. I can tell you that there have been times when I have been guilty of not speaking Because I feared if I said something, I'm going to lose that person's friendship. If I speak out about a certain topic, guess what? I'm going to lose some influence. I'm going to lose people. And But that is an idol. (coughs) That is an idol. I attached a meaning and a value to something more than God. Now, as I said at the beginning, I'm not saying that you speak out on every topic and you just, you know, rip rip off any sort of filter and you you just speak your mind. We all know people like that. And we're turned off by people like that, right? Rather, what we should do as Christians, we should be praying for the person that we're going to speak to. We should be praying for a heart of, of love and care. We, we should care about the words that we're going to speak to them. That's the first thing that we should do. And we should be in our Bibles. Pointing to text after text after text. Being ready to give an, a reason for the hope that you have. But to do so, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, with gentleness and respect this is one of my this is one of my fears coming out of covid is that we've been shut inside and we haven't been doing life with one another and so we're so afraid now to to coming out of this to 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 say anything 
that would offend anybody's ears because we've heard things, right, in the last two years or so that bother us, that upset us. And so we come out, if you will, out of hibernation and we're just ready to say whatever we want to say without any consequence, without any thinking about it, without praying about it, without being grounded in the Bible. But the reason, the motivation behind what we say, it matters just as much as the content of what we say. And and the New Testament has so much to to say about this. That's why Jude 3 tells us that we're to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. <coughs> the reason that we can do that is we believe the faith. We confess the faith. We're standing on and for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, which is clearly revealed in the word of God. And because we fear God above all things. We know that when we speak the truth, there might be a consequence. And we're willing to count the cost. This is what Jesus very clearly had in mind when he told the disciples in Luke 9, 23 through 27 to count the cost and to follow him in all of life. Are you ready to count the cost? Are you ready to count the cost, even if it even if it means that you might lose some prestige? Are you ready to count the cost if it means that you might lose a book deal? Are you ready to count the cost if it means losing that promotion at work? Are you ready to stand for the truth? Now, before you think... I'm giving you unfettered access, unfettered privilege to just say whatever you want to say. There's a qualification that I must add, and that's this. What we speak must accord with what is in the Bible. That's why scripture tells us that we will be held to account for every idle word out of our mouth. This is also why we should be praying for the Lord to use us every day in the lives of others and that we would speak the word with boldness, with clarity, motivated by a heart of love. Now we need to ask the question, is the fear of man something that, it, that ensnares only a few people? The Apostle Paul says that, that by nature men outside of Christ have no fear of God before their eyes in Romans 3.18. However, even the godliness saints still has remnants of this fear of man in their soul. Even believers choose to warm themselves at the fire of acceptance, like Peter did in the courtyard outside of the palace where his Lord suffered. Fearing man mutes our witness to Christ, and it keeps us from living for the glory of God. It keeps us from saying and doing what, what is pleasing to the Lord. We, we would rather go back to, you know, I'd rather get more followers on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram than, than to speak that, those hard words. Speak those hard truths from the, from the word of God. 
So we need to ask, what are we going to do? How do we cast off the fear of man and lay hold of the fear of the Lord? Well, the prophet Isaiah gives us this gospel remedy. In Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Christ, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' life was marked by the fear of God. He never worried what people thought of him. His goal was to bring honor to his heavenly Father. He never compromised for gain. He took the hard road to the cross to bear the wrath of God that we deserve for the sin of our fear of man. Jesus' heart was so full of the fear of the Lord that he was despised and rejected by men in our place and for our sin. And he rose again on the third day. And when we look to Christ in faith, we receive the forgiveness of our sin and the Holy Spirit with which he was filled. And when we trust Christ by faith alone, the Holy Spirit begins to produce in us, as John Murray says, the fear which constrains adoration and love that consists in awe and reverence, honor and worship that is the reflex of our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. You see, as you grow in the fear of God, you automatically decrease in the fear of man. The greater fear displaces the lesser fear. Because to grow in the fear of God is to know more deeply and personally the Lord, who he is, who who he's made known to us by way of creation, but in a special, sanctifying way in the word. As we grow to know the attributes of God, the names of God, the triunity of God, the eternal decree of God, the acts of God. There's a healthy, a holy, reverential awe that swells and grows in our hearts. And it's cultivated through prayer, through worship, through the means of God's grace. It's cultivated by being with other believers who take God seriously in our local church. It's cultivated by time in the Word and under the Word over years and years and years, and even by hearing sermons like Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, all together, this cultivates an awe and a holy fear of God. <clears throat> Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, The end of the all, all the matter is this, to fear God and to obey His commandments. And so the first step to entering into the kingdom of God is to fear God himself. All true saving faith has its, has its beginning, its source, its foundation in the fear of God. No one giggles through the narrow gate and no one skips into the kingdom. We all come with a reverential submission to God, but we grow in fear of God throughout the entirety of our Christian life. We never outgrow fearing God. We grow to worship, to adore, to love him more, to and more in our sanctification. And then the end is, above all, to fear God. Our whole Christian life is to progress in the fear of God. If you look and read in depth the, the book of Proverbs alone, notice all the passages that, that talk about what it means to fear God. 
you would see that that fearing God is part and parcel of our walk, our pilgrimage, to use Bunwin's language, with the Lord, or a walk with the Lord. And therefore, the more that we, the more that we fear God, the less we will fear man. And so, if we're to be honest, the fear of God is not uppermost in the modern church. And it may not even be uppermost in the Reformed Church. If we were to think of the characteristics of the local church, I'm not sure that, that one of them that would, be, that would describe local churches is the fear of God. Stephen Nichols' biography of R.C. Sproul, which I've read, and we've actually had uh, Dr. Nichols on the show to talk about his biography of R.C. Sproul. And I hope that everyone reads it because it's very moving. Well, in this biography that Dr. Nichols wrote, it recounts that R.C. Sproul read Rudolf Otto's The Idea of the Holy, which is difficult to read because it's meant for scholars rather than for lay people. And Dr. Nichols talks about the Mysterium Tremendium, the holy tremors, and how that deeply affected R.C. Sproul's uh, work on the holiness of God. Now, the holiness of God, we know, was a mark of his ministry for the rest of R.C.'s life. A great big God for whom we walk in fear, a reverence of worship. There is, in John Bunyan's Principles of Conduct, where he asks the question, is it right to be afraid of God? His answer is this. It is the height of folly not to be afraid of God if there is a reason to be afraid of God. And we're not talking about the fear of being afraid, but, but the holy tremor, fear, and that sense in a worship service where the Lord has come down and you are no longer aware of one another. You're not thinking about a shopping list or what you're going to have for dinner and on and on. You are consumed by the presence of the majestic God described in the Word of God. And this is how we should look at our corporate worship with one another, and our lives individually. We are one example of, of this where we fail to fear God is in the area of pornography. Now, if you go look at the statistics on pornography, it's, it's disturbing. It's, it's, it's deeply disturbing, okay? But this is where we can take this doctrine of the fear of God just one area, we're going to do maybe one more, and we can apply it. If we fear God, we will turn away from evil. Whether it's on the TV, whether it's on our smartphone, because God is holy, he is set apart, he is holy unlike us. And if we take time to contemplate that idea, we will we will flee from sin. We will flee from it. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that, that we're going to be perfect this side of heaven. At times, we're going to stumble and fall. But we should not use that as an excuse. It's too often, well, I'm just struggling. And so we use this excuse to say, you know what? I'm going to continue to struggle. And then now we're justifying our sin to say, you know what? Really what we're saying is Christ is not enough for us. 
And what Paul says in Romans 6, 1 through 2 is so instructive for us because we're not supposed to have that attitude. Paul says very clearly, may it never be. After he has just described the, the sinfulness of man in Romans 1 through 3, in every single sphere of life, by the way, and then he's told us in chapters 4 and 5 about Christ and what Christ has done to forgive us of our sin, to bring us into, uh, to, into a relationship with God on the basis of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And then he, then he says, you know, so, so he answers the objection to the person who thinks, well, in light of all that you just said, Paul, I can live however I want to. And Paul's answer to that question, to that issue, is may it never be. And the reason that he says may it never be is, is because we have been, as Paul would say in, in Colossians 1, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. We are his and he is ours. We belong to Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 tells us very clearly that we are new creations in Christ. If you look at sometime, just go look and read and really read it again and again and again. Uh, Colossians 3 and Galatians 5. And notice, especially in Colossians 3, all the negative things, the things of the flesh, the works of the flesh. And then notice that we're to put off those things. This is what Paul means by union with Christ. Because of union with Christ, you can those things, they don't even, they don't define you. They don't define who you are. You have a new identity because of Christ. And the things that, that Paul goes on to talk about, about after putting on putting off the old man, putting on the new man, these things are what define what a Christian is because of their union with Christ. And that's why we can say that the fear of God helps us to flee from sin, to put it to death because of the the, the person and the finished and the sufficient work of the Lord Jesus. And that's why we can say the fear of God helps us to flee from sin and run to a sufficient Christ. It's not just that we we make we we make we justify our sin. We say, you know what, it's okay. It's a it's okay to live however I want to live. It's okay to do whatever I want to do. No, we're not to do that. Because when we fear God, when we have a biblical view of God, we remember we're holding him up. We're, we're holding him up as the one who alone is worthy of our worship and our adoration. He's holy. He's majestic. He's perfect. And the more that we have a biblical view of God, the more that that's going to shape our our understanding of, of, of what the Christian life should look like. And it's going to help us to flee, flee when we're tempted, whether we're watching TV or on our phones or on our tablets or wherever or at the grocery store. 
or at the mall. It's going to help us to flee the temptation to have that even first or second glance or third glance and on and on. And to think, it's going to help us to just say, you know what? What I need in this moment, I need to think, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, on what is noble, on what is true, on what is right, on what is contained in the word of God. And Paul very clearly tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, 10 that the Lord provides a way of escape out of these situations. The way of escape is going to the word of God. That's why we should know the word of God. But it's not only that the, 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 that the Bible tells us how we're to fear God and that we're to flee from sin and, and run to Christ and trust that he is enough for us. But the last thing that I'll talk about here, and then we'll wrap it up, is the fear of God helps us to speak the truth in love. You look at the, you look at the apostles in the book of Acts, Remember that the Holy Spirit had had now come upon them. They were indwelt by the Spirit, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they could not help but speak of the Lord. They could not speak help but speak of of the sufficient Lord who alone could save, despite the 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 threat, very real threat of persecution. This is why earlier I said that that the men and the women that the Lord has used most powerfully over the years. They have stood on and for the glory of God because they feared God more than they feared man. And so our stand, our, and Paul says this in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We have to stand on the word of God. By the way, that's that's the one thing that we have been given in this in this battle. The one offensive weapon that we've been given is the Bible. Hebrews four twelve tells us if the Scripture is sharper than any two edged sword, that it, it pierces through heart and flesh. And so we are to stand on the word of God. And how can we stand on the word? And by the way, behind the word, Titus 1-2 says, is a God who never lies. He never compromises on his holiness, on his justice, on his love. And he never gets it out of balance. He never says, today I'm going to focus on my love and I'm going to exclude my holiness. He never excuses, uh, never minimizes his grace to, you know, the, to the detriment of his justice. All of the character of God works together for the good of those who, as Paul says, love him and are called according to his purpose. God is always coherent, and he is always consistent. And so we can trust him. We can take his word, take him at his word. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourself. It's first love the Lord, and out of that, we can love our neighbor. That's why we must be privately availing ourselves 
of the means of God's grace ourself in, in the word, in prayer, in, in study. So that as we speak to love our neighbor, we ourselves are actually walking with God. This is why the Bible, the New Testament, if you read about all the times that are were to speak, it's always in the context of our union with Christ. Because the, the apostles and Jesus himself are very concerned that about our character and then about our witness. Because our character influences our witness. Today we are we get this backwards. We are so concerned about our witness and we hardly ever talk about our, well, we talk about character, but we never talk about our character impacting our witness. Yeah, books after books after books, too many to name about our witness, but they never talk as well. They never have the biblical balance between our character in Christ and what it's supposed to look like matched and fueled, fueling, if you will, or witness. And over all of this is the fear of God. We fear God. We, we esteem Him. We treasure Him. When we walk in His ways. And we're growing to be more like Him. And then we can speak the truth in love. Because we're actually walking with the Lord. We're walking with Him. We're walking with Him according as He is described in the Word of God. And so then we have something to say, and we're going to say it as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. But what? Do it with gentleness, which is, by the way, a fruit of the Spirit that that God, the Holy Spirit, is working the, the Word into our lives, okay? Always, always be ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have, Peter says, and to do so with gentleness and respect. Paul commands us in Ephesians 4.15 to speak the truth in love. Not to speak our truth, but to speak the truth and to do it in love. And by the way, over all of this, Jesus is our example. He's our example in this. Jesus, John 1 tells us, was full of grace and truth. That's a, that's a corrective. If we only just want to tell people the truth, we should zip our lip. And I mean that. Instead, we should pray. We should pray for a heart of love for the person. By the way, that's a command. It's the the command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor. How can you speak the truth in love if you haven't even prayed for your neighbor? It's a question. How can you speak words that edify and built up as we're commanded to do in Ephesians 4, uh, 
429 in other places. How can you do that if you're not praying for the person? If you're if you're not aiming for their best. You know, there was a period of my life where I would repeat the the negative words that people would say over and over and over again. I would not pray about those words, by the way. But like they would just repeat over and over and over again in my mind. And I remember having a conversation with my mentor about this and even with the pastor of the church we were at. And he said, I remember the pa- our, our former pastor telling me, you got to stop replaying that movie over and over and over again. That's what we need to do. When you replay those 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 things that have happened over and over and over again, what's going to happen is it's going to stir up more bitterness and more resentment. But if you take those, take that hurt, take those feelings, take them to the Word, and say, Lord, here's these hurts, here's these pains. You know what? This is why Jesus came to die. Jesus, Hebrews 4, uh, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, and Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, very clearly tell us that he was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. And yet he can sympathize with us in our weakness. This is why Paul in in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, very clear. It tells us to think on what is noble and pure and good. Not to replay those, that movie, those, those thoughts over and over and over again. But to instead to, re, to replace those thoughts with the word of God. To think on what is, what is the Lord doing? Am I, am I even seeing that difficult person? That person who's hurt me? Am I even concerned to pray for them? And I remember in another conversation in my dear mentor Mike's office, him telling me, see that person through the eyes of the... I just sit here sometimes in my office, Dave, and I deal with difficult people, and I'm just praying very quietly, Lord, help me to see this person through the eyes of Jesus. Do you even begin to think that way? Because until you do, you're not going to pray for that difficult person. And I can tell you, having been that difficult person, that person that is very challenging, what they need is they need love. They need the love that comes only through union with Christ and is only being poured out in, as Romans 5 very clearly tells us, into our hearts through Christ. That's what they need. And so what this does, what fearing God does is it helps us to see ourselves in light of God, helps us to see ourselves in light of Christ, and that then affects everything about our lives. Everything. That's why R.C. Sproul used to use the word, the phrase Coram Deo, which means before the face of God. 
Because all of our life is before the face of God. And so all of life should be lived in the fear of God, in the, in the awe, on the reverence of God. And the more that it is, the more that we'll grow to be like Christ. The more that we'll desire to honor him, to glorify him, to lift up his name, and to speak of his great glory among the nations, the more that we'll desire to fight against our sin and to stand and to rightly proclaim, as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 5, to appeal to men and to women to be reconciled to God and to grow, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Well, guys, there's a lot that could be said. There's a lot that could be unpacked. I hope that this has been helpful for you. Until next Monday and Wednesday, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.